I acknowledge that the land I work, live, and play on is the unceded territory of the Coast Salish peoples, including the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. Welcome to Vanex Van, episode 71. I'm your host, Vandalay, and I'm joined today by comedy satirist and founder of environmental news and comedy website and YouTube channel, thegigawatt.com, Aaron H.M. Now, do you use your your full name or just the uh, the H.M. initialism? Uh, I tend to use the initialism just because the full name is just kind of long. So I, I figure if it's just easy for people to just, you know, look up Aaron H.M. on Twitter. I figure I may as well just use it. Um, I don't want to be like, you know, it's like Louis C.K. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it is just easier that way. Well, how's it going anyway? Uh, it's going okay. You mean like in general? In general, or yeah. Like, or how is like the site or, yeah. Well, uh, how, how are you doing today? I usually just start off with I'm that question. Okay. I actually spent the first part of my day recording a, a video for the Raging Grannies. Who are I'm not sure if you're familiar with them, but they're like a uh, loosely associated group of old women that show up uh, at protests and sing parody songs. That sounds awesome. They are uh, all over North America, and uh, I got roped into uh, recording uh, a few videos for them uh, today on Family Day of all of all time, which is good because my mom is actually a member, so I did her a solid on that one. Do you direct the music video? It, I wouldn't call this a music video. It was more of a recording of a performance. It was not that involved, but yes, in a technical sense, I was directing it. What kind of uh, music do they do? They are uh, on the older side, so their taste is also on the older side. But like, for instance, one of the songs that we did today was like based off of Roland, Roland, Roland. So yeah. The Rawhide, I believe, Rawhide, is the yeah. version of that. Well, uh, let's let's change tack a bit. Why, why don't you tell the the listeners a little bit about the Gigawatt? Sure, the Gigawatt is trying to answer the big environmental questions. It's a, sort of a passion project of mine uh, at the moment. It's one of those things that I get to whenever I can. Um, but would love one day to be able to make it a full time job. But the answer, yeah, I try to answer sort of environmental questions that no one else is asking. And that's sort of the niche that I'm trying to get into. But I also try to make it kind of funny because it's a very depressing topic. I, I find that like when you just get lost in uh, the news of like how depressing the environment is, like at every point, it's just like there's no almost no good news. It's always always some sort of like we're losing this or at a tipping point of that. This species is gone. Like you tend to get uh, pretty emotionally exhausted. Uh, that and the you know pretty solid disinformation campaign that's been going on for the last 30 years to try to discredit actual science it's pretty disheartening so my my this is my attempt of trying to make some information that is you know also true and fun at the same time does it have a an optimistic out, outlook as well i try to make it optimistic and um like, we actually have good reason to be optimistic. Like, we can, as long as we're alive, we can do something. And uh, that's, it's really easy to slip into, like, fatalism and just think that, oh, it's 
all too late. We may as well just enjoy the party while it lasts. And believe me, I've felt that at different times in my life. But the more you actually look into it, the more you realize that like things can be done right now that can stave off the worst effects of say like climate change and then we can actually clean up the oceans if we really try and we can actually create a sustainable economy if we really try but there are a lot of roadblocks in the way tell me how you got started with this project um so i've been working for the beaverton for about seven years and uh yeah at a certain point uh i wanted to do something that was a little more focused on a specific kind of subset of issues. A lot of the stuff that I was creating was environmentally focused. And I kind of just realized, you know, I asked myself, like, if I could be doing something that were money, no matter, I'd be like, oh, well, I try to save the earth. And I just sort of irrationally decided that this is the meaning I'm going to have in my life now. And uh, I I don't know, I, I guess it's just a way for me to fight, you know, the nihilistic uh, tendencies that we all have in a society where the only basis for value is money. So I decided that, yeah, if I can use this particular set of skills that I have to uh, write things with humor, but also clarity, then maybe I can feel okay when I die. Um, I mean, that's that's the best we can hope for, right? It's, uh... Yeah, we can look back and think, well, I tried a little. I'm, I'm not exactly at the point where I'm like, I'm going to do this for future generations. Like, I'm, I'm not sure I'm going to have kids. And I find that a lot of people are motivated by, it's like, oh, I need to leave a better world for my kids. And, you know, whatever motivates you. But, uh, yeah, I do want to be able to to sleep at night. Well, you wrote an article about that somewhat recently, didn't you? The, is it ethical to have kids in the climate apocalypse? Uh, yeah, it was a uh, a video. And the... The argument, you know, in a nutshell, comes from uh, a study back in 2017 that says that the number one individual thing that you can do to cut your carbon footprint is to have one fewer child. And it's essentially like 20 times more effective than going car-free, recycling, and having a plant-based diet combined. And that's pretty shocking. So I think a lot of people saw that and were like, oh, God. How is it all responsible to bring a child into the world, coupled with the fact that we have very good reason to believe that the future is going to be extremely hard for future generations. And we are ad- not only adding to the problem by having children in our current economy, but we're also leaving them with a problem that can be even harder for them to solve if we do nothing now. So I think there is, you know, I think if somebody doesn't want to have kids for climate reasons, I'm not going to stop them. But at the same time, I think it's important that you really want to have kids and it's you think you're going to be a good parent you have something to to give the world on that by all means you know if that's that important to you i'm not here to say don't do it i think ultimately um we have to respect people's decisions and frankly having children is a human right so i'm not going to trample on that yeah absolutely i mean it's it's easy to get into uh to accidentally slip into some kind of climate eugenics Oh, it's absolutely, it's all over the place, too. There's a, this really disturbing trend, I think, of people, and I want to fight against that, absolutely. It's, <laughs> I, think, uh, I think Richard Dawkins recently tweeted something about, yeah, eugenics would work on humans. Oh, yeah, that was, that was a whole and, uh, can of worms. That is a can of worms. And he like, later clarified, he's like, 
no, like it would technically work. I don't think it's a good thing, but it would technically work. It worked on dogs, cows, and all those things. And I'm like, okay, fair enough. Um, we have the technology. I think there's a really open question of whether or not we should use it and to what end, right? What does it actually mean to <laughs> improve the human species? Yeah. Uh, we, I think, are very good at making decisions uh, in the short term and implementing technologies without ever really thinking about the long term. We're really good at coming up with things and then just sort of letting them loose on the world without fully thinking through the consequences. I mean, that's the whole premise of World War One, right? Well, I, I guess World War One <laughs> was kind of just like a, you know, people started fighting and they look back, they're like, wait, why did we start? Why did we destroy all of Europe for what? a, for wait, a family squabble? Some Duke died? Yeah. But like, why? <laughs> I think I think for me, and I know this is uh, incredibly difficult process, and I haven't even started looking into it yet. But uh, one day I'd like to adopt because I'd like to raise a, a child, but I don't want to add add to any problems or even like pass on my own genes because I'm not that into my own genes. But I, um... <laughs> I know exactly how you feel. I thought to myself, like, why would I also burden a child with my ridiculous genes? Do they? Yeah. Do we really need another hairball in this world? I mean, if I could get, be guaranteed, it would be like ninety percent, like uh, like my partner. That'd be amazing. But you know. The the 50% of me doesn't need to be in there. Uh, not to, like, you know, be a contrarian or whatever. It sounds like there's a real good argument for eugenics right there then, isn't there? <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I don't, want, I don't want to be treading into that territory, and I just want to say to the listener that I 100% do not believe in eugenics. I just have self-esteem issues. But um, <laughs> <laughs> Tell me all. I yeah. do remire, admire the, um, the impulse to, to raise a child um, correctly, and, you know, I, I've known several uh, kids growing up, and then I see some adu like adults taking care of kids now. And like, some people are just flat out unprepared to bring a child into the world. And uh, we, I would love to be able to make sure that every child has a stable home and every child has a loving family. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, that's just not realistic. However. Um, if you have that impulse to raise a child and you can go through the adoption process, I've heard it's very hard to adopt. Like you really have yeah. to jump through a lot of hoops, which absolutely is responsible. But for the people who I've known uh, who do adopt uh, or who have adopted, um, they're, they're great people. And uh, I, I admire that um, they are being the family that this child wouldn't have otherwise. I was told that once, Frost Cricket was a humble prefect of the Celestial City. But when Wanderlust whispered her name, she left to travel the Earth on foot. Her journeys inspired many stories, and those stories inspired other stories. Some idiot wrote them all down, and ever since, fools have been telling and retelling the tales of Frost Cricket. Hear them all on the Cave Goblin. What's your process for researching and writing your articles and videos? I try to come up with an interesting like angle on something or a question I want to answer. Uh, and then I read a bunch and then I'll kind of create a long essay um, and then add jokes to it. Try to start with a decent joke off the top and yeah, then just hone the script to a place where I like it. Uh, then I will shoot it and then you know, sort 
sort of I, I'm currently doing a green screen thing thing, which I'm like, I'm not sure I want to keep, but we'll see. Uh, yeah, for me, the the writing process is longest, and the editing process is very long. But like, yeah, it's a uh, especially when you're doing it all by yourself. Yeah, but that's that's the process in a nutshell. What so what are what are your main uh main sources for making sure you're able to back up your information against uh you know trolls and skeptics sure i i actually have battled a bunch of trolls and skeptics uh quote-unquote skeptics um because you'll find with these skeptics that very little information gets in and the mark of a skeptic is that they are willing to consider all sorts of information so when they completely dismiss things out of hand uh then you know you're not really a skeptic uh i will also say that Sorry for the tangent here, but I'll also say that a lot of the times when skeptics link to things, I'll always check it, and there will almost always be, at least on that particular site that they happen to be, whatever site they are on, information that contradicts them, or they flat out aren't reading the full thing. And uh, yeah, that's something I want to do a video on, is just to try to get inside the mind of a, a skeptic. There's one guy who's like always commenting on my Facebook uh, feed on this, and then I like I'm, I'm gonna see if I can interview him and like if he could be willing to to be interviewed about like what he truly believes because I'm pretty sure he believes that there's this vast you know one world government conspiracy and I would love to learn more about what he thinks. Um, I've been down that rabbit hole and it's you know kind of nuts, but at the same time, I am willing to acknowledge that conspiracies happen all the time. Um, especially when it comes to fossil fuel companies. So I'm not going to be uh, dismissive of everything out of hand. But what was your question again? How do I make sure things are reputable? I guess, how do you fact check your sources? Sure. I mean, there are peer-reviewed articles that you can uh, always go for, and I try to uh, look at those. And generally, like, The Guardian is a pretty good source for, you know, that kind of news. Um, and, like, at the end of the day, it's, you have to be able to trust journalists uh, and like build a rapport with people who are in the news. And I, my partner is a journalist and I kind of know how the sausage is made. And if people understood the painstaking process of making sure that what you can say or what you publish is like journalistically, you know, integral, as opposed to a lot of the, you know, there are, there are bad journalistic sites out there, but like, Things like New York Times, Globe and Mail, Guardian, when you're going with those, they're by and large the more responsible, uh, yeah, they're more responsible news outlets. And frankly, like, you know, it's important that these uh, these institutions remain funded. So, yeah, I, I pay the Guardian, a, you know, a certain amount a month and uh, I get the Globe for free because she works for it. So that sort of a thing. I just think it's important that Information is, we're living in information age and having good quality information is so important that it's important that people realize that you gotta pay for it. Your data isn't good enough and then you making clicks and looking at ads, just simply not good enough to uh, justify good information. Previous to this, uh, as you mentioned, you were a story editor at The Beaverton, a popular Canadian satire publication. Uh, what can you tell me about that? Sure, I, uh, I got involved in the website in about 2012. Yeah, that's a whole like, chapter of my life, actually. So I could go on and on and on. 
Um, but uh, yeah, I started out as just a writer, uh, eventually became an editor on the site. And um, when the TV show got picked up, uh, I was in the uh, writing room on the TV show for two seasons. Was not invited onto the third for a reason that I can't get into on uh, publicly. Fair enough. To the listener, so Aaron's um, recording software crashed on his end, but so the the quality might be just a little different from here on out. But we can record through the phone call, no problem. Uh, okay. Well, How, if you want me to just keep going, and we yeah, can let's like... just let's just keep going. Okay. Well, if we wanted to do it that way, we can. Yeah. Um, I'll uh, I'll just keep talking then. What? Uh... Yeah, you wanted to talk. You wanted to talk about the Beaverton a little more. Uh, yeah, only if you if you're comfortable. Oh yeah, no, I can. Uh, I started. I uh, basically started seeing these stories going through my feed on Facebook or whatever, and I, I realized that oh my god, there's someone doing this in Canada now, and I uh, contacted them, kind of put my foot in the door. The guy who started it was a guy named Laurent Noonan. He sadly is no longer with us. Um, he killed himself in 2014. Oof. And uh, yeah. But, another complete story but uh it was yeah it was a, a very exciting time for me to be able to do uh the new satire kind of in the style of the onion but with a canadian flavor and uh the skills that i learned there uh you know are going to be in value invaluable to me in the future and i really do have a, a taste for this sort of content of topical uh newsy sort of satire and it's something i love to do well, what, from what I can tell, you did similar sort of work with the CBC. Ah, uh, yeah, they've uh, they've hired me in a few stints. I've been able to do some work with Because News, um, the Irrelevant Show, which is no longer on, and uh, yeah, my main sort of go to on CBC would be Day Six, which is a news roundup show hosted by Brent Banbury, and they will hire me every so often to do um, to write a script and then come in and do a voice uh voice sketch usually a bit and i've been doing that for quite some time as well uh, sort of on and off but uh it's it's been a great experience you you have a background as well in uh sketch comedy with um second city and in the improv troupe jape how yes. did that transition into what you currently do <laughs> well uh doing live sketch comedy for about oh shit it was like 12 years um you know it gives you an idea of like what works on stage, what works in front of an audience a lot of the time. I think there's a lot of people who don't ever get on stage and they get internet famous and then like it's harder for them to make a transition into a, a live audience. But uh, that said, you know, uh, we all have our ways. I, I think it's good for, you know, it's good for people to get good with that kind of stage time and like really hone your voice and your skills. And, you know, I'm still honing it. So uh, all, all the best to those people who are out there doing it now. Um, but yeah, I think you also get to learn how to work with others and how the technical side of things, how to produce a show. There's a lot that goes into a lot of like transferable skills that go into having a sketch troupe that's been around for that long. That said, I was also a, a producer at the Toronto Sketch Comedy Festival as well. So I got some production shops on that side as well. Um, there's a lot of herding of cats that's involved. So did you say herding of cats? Yeah, the, you know. Cats want to go in several different directions, right. and you got to keep them in a little herd. Comedians can be like that. I guess that's just a saying I haven't heard before, but um, you, I think you've I'll never be... heard herding cats. Herding cats? No. I mean, it sounds like something I should have heard, but uh, I, I'm going to use it uh, indiscriminately now and probably wrong. Well, uh, that is up to you. Uh, but yeah, you can use it in several different contexts. See you. See if you can use it in one where it actually works. 
Yeah, I'll try. I'll try that. What about something like uh, booking guests for this show is like herding cats? Is that right? Yeah, that can be like herding cats, especially when you know you have people who flake on you or like their audio recording crashes halfway through. Oh, th th that's fine. That's fine. This this part of thing. I've I've had much worse, but we won't get into that. Well, what's next for you and uh, for the gigawatt? Uh, honestly, I just I'm at the plugging away point. I just gotta like get more content out there but uh, i would love to hear you know people's feedback on it and uh get more eyeballs on it so i appreciate you taking the time to interview me on that that's uh that's very nice of you but yeah i i'm gonna i think there's a lot of stuff that can be done around uh the 2020 election as well um i think my the way i kind of see this channel working as a niche there's a lot of like science communicators out there who have like science degrees who will you know great at explaining the sciencey stuff i think there's probably more than that like i can't really add to that and do that better what i can do with a philosophy degree is kind of take um more of a political and moral thing uh and try to understand the meaning behind a lot of these things in a way that i can try to create more of a narrative i think to like what this all means for us as people and that's kind of my goal great well where can people uh send you that feedback and follow the gigawatt and follow you uh i appreciate any uh follows i get or subscribers that i get on youtube if you uh look up the gigawatt but um yeah i have a meme page on instagram uh the gigawatt just for like kind of daily content and uh you can follow me personally uh on twitter at aaron hm great well thanks so much for uh coming and talking to me, to me today aaron is there anything else you'd like to plug besides those uh, no, that's, that's pretty much it. Um, I appreciate you taking the time and, you know, maybe when I'm in Vancouver next, we can, uh, we can have a coffee. That'd be great. Thanks for listening to Van X Van. You can find me on Twitter at Doug Vandelay and the show at Van X Vancast. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Podchaser or iTunes. It's the best way for us to grow at no cost to you. We're also on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash cave goblins i'm doug vandalay see you next time this is a cave goblin podcast for other podcasts like this visit cavegoblins.com we hope you have enjoyed this program